Welcome to this week's Investors Chronicle Personal Finance Podcast. I'm Lenora Walters, and joining me today are my colleagues at Investors Chronicle, Deputy Personal Finance Editor Kate Bailey and Personal Finance Writer Emma Ajimang, and Rosie Bullard, Portfolio Manager at James Hanvo and Partners. This week's fun section of Investors Chronicle has something of an income flavour, including an interview with top UK manager Nick Twain. But Kate has also been speaking to a manager who looks slightly further afield for his yield. Kate, who is this and what fund does he run? So this is Jacob de Tuchelec, manager of Artemis Global Income. How has his fund been performing? So it's doing really well. It's the top performing fund in the IA global equity income sector over five years and it's top quartile over one year too. Um, so it's returned 121 uh, percent compared with sector average of 77 percent over five years. Okay, uh, some impressive numbers there. So what makes this fund stand out from its peers? Well, he takes quite a different approach to his peers because he's kind of a value income investor. So he's looking for basically cheaper income stocks or better value income stocks than many people who kind of fish in this sector um, and has recently been investing in more what he terms hairy situations so I guess stocks that he thinks are compelling, but where there's something to make the market doubt them. So where they're a little cheaper than other income stocks, which we do think of as now being pretty expensive as people have kind of moved into those as bond yields have come down. Um, so what would be examples of a hairy situation? Um, so he has three Italian, what he calls Italian TV tower companies. Um, so these include um, EI Towers, for example, and that's 2.7% of the fund. Um, and so it, in that example, it's kind of a great dividend. It's, he says, rock solid. These are a bit like investing in an infrastructure company and in that they've got very long term contracts. But the market's nervous about Italian stocks generally because of kind of political risks surrounding I know Brexit and, and, you know, people thinking what would happen if uh, Italy left the euro. And for that reason, the stock is quite cheap or relatively cheap. OK, so um, other than hairy situations and um, great numbers, is, uh, you know, what else makes um, Artemis Global Income um, stand out from its peers? Well, he also takes this total return approach to income investing. So instead of just thinking, um, I want a very high yield now, he kind of invests in stocks with potentially lower income or, or no yield at all, but which have the potential to grow their dividend over time. So he's dividing his portfolio between companies with low but growing dividends, companies with very high yields today, and also cyclical stocks where they do pay an income, but that could be at risk um, in if the market turns. Rosie, do you think it's important to look at equity income funds' total returns rather than the ones of the highest yields? I think it's very important to understand the difference between the two, what total return means and why a stock or a fund has a particularly high yield. Is it high yielding for a reason, i.e. the market doesn't like the stock because there's something wrong with the underlying company or something going on within the assets that a fund holds? I think investors need to look at the underlying assets into which a fund is invested, be it the geographic region, so Asian equities versus UK equities, or looking at sector exposure. Has this particular fund got very high exposure to consumer staples or to financials in order to provide that income yield? Um, I also think they need to think about 
where the income is being generated within the fund, and particularly if there's the use of derivatives within the fund structure itself. And then finally, when you're looking at funds that produce an income, it's also useful to look at how the fees are being taken as well. So some funds that specifically go for income may then take their fees out of that income being generated. So then investors actually end up with a lower distribution yield than the underlying portfolio of assets into which the fund has invested. So it's all about really understanding that point as to what it means in terms of total return or why the particular fund has a very high yield. Okay. And um, are there any other important attributes that um, you'd look for in an equity income fund? Yes, there certainly are. Um, Looking at the experience of the manager in the particular region of the world or particular type of fund. Is this a new style for the manager? Is this a new style for the fund? What type of consistency is there in terms of the approach to income? I think investors have to look at the past performance of the fund from a capital volatility perspective. There is an assumption perhaps that income generating funds tend to have lower capital volatility. And whilst that's true in a lot of cases, it's not always the case. And so investors have to be careful from that perspective. Okay. Now, what would be maybe a, a good example of, um, you know, an equity income fund that um, sort of like meets those criteria? Mm. Well, actually, as you mentioned, the Artemis Global Income Fund is a good example of a manager who is very experienced in the area of investing into income, in this case, global equity income, and also having real consistency of approach. And that's certainly important for us when we're looking at attributes for a particular fund into which we want to invest. Okay. Um, Now, this is um, obviously a global equity income fund rather than a UK equity income fund, which perhaps um, lots of our listeners are more familiar with. Do you think that at the moment global equity income funds are a better option than UK equity income funds? It really depends on the investor's starting point. So if they're already heavily invested into UK equity income funds, it's certainly an option from a diversification perspective to look at global equity income funds. The global funds have more opportunities perhaps in the fact that they can search all the way around the world for ideas and the best ideas in a particular sector rather than being constrained to a geographic region. On the other hand though, The UK equity market tends to be a high-yielding equity market versus the rest of the world, and therefore equity income funds can provide many more opportunities in terms of the area, that specific area into which they're investing, and produce high yields as a result versus global funds. Okay. Um, What would be some examples of um, UK and global equity income funds that perhaps have um, delivered what they say they should recently? Mm. Um, From our perspective, partly again, it comes back to the point of what's the Mm. individual got already in their portfolio. Investors need to be really careful whilst they might pick a particular fund that has a fantastic performance track record. It might be a little bit too similar Mm. to the funds they already hold in the portfolio, be that Um, the underlying sector exposure or the way the income is generated. So um, there are many lists of very, very good, strong performing funds. And I think investors need to go back and have a look at what they've got at the moment and how that fits in in terms of a diversified portfolio that they're creating. Okay, thank you, Rosie. Some really helpful points there. 
Now, when you're looking for an equity income fund, the first ones which probably spring to mind are those run by high-profile managers, such as the one we've just been discussing, or those run by the likes of Neil Woodford. However, over recent years, a number of low-cost exchange-traded funds, ETFs for short, have launched that also offer access to equity income stocks. And far from just following an index, a number of these look to mitigate the dangers of equity income investing. Kate, you've been looking at this. So what are the main dangers of equity income? Um, Well, so there are quite a few dangers. And I guess the main ones would be, firstly, the risk of concentration in just a few stocks or sectors, which we definitely see in the UK market. Also, the main risk is obviously dividend cuts or volatility of your dividend stream. How do some of these ETFs try to avoid the dangers of dividend cuts? So there are kind of a big range of different ways. One example is Spider, who has um, a dividend aristocrats range. And the idea here is to try and iron out some of that volatility and invest in companies with really stable, long-term records of, of producing income. So they only invest in companies from the wider market who have increased their dividends for a long period of time. So in the UK, that's 10 years. In the US, 20. Um, and their Asian income ETF, um, it's a seven-year record just because of the difficulty of finding enough stocks who have done that in order to have a kind of diversified index. Okay, I mean, that all sounds good, but are there any downsides to these ETFs? Well, so the downside of that strategy is you obviously have a much smaller universe of stocks to pick from because there aren't that many companies who have done that, who have increased dividends for 10 years, for example. So you do have fewer holdings in the ETF. You do tend to have a lower level of yield as well, just because those stocks do tend to be slightly more conservative in the income they're paying out in order to keep paying it sustainably. Okay, so like turn to some of the other dangers of equity income. Um, Let's look at yield traps. How do equity income ETFs try to avoid yield traps? Yeah, yield traps are obviously another big problem for equity income uh, because obviously high yield could signify high income. It could also just signify a plummeting share price and unsustainable payouts. So Wisdom Tree is, is concerned with this and their equity income ETFs try to get around that by weighting the stocks in their index by cash dividends paid. So normally stocks are weighted in an index by market cap. But what Wisdom Tree does is take the highest yielding um, segment of the market, but then they weight the stocks in the index after that first kind of criteria stage, weight them by cash dividends paid. So you're trying to get around that kind of yield distortion, which you find with many kind of funds that only focus on high yield. Okay, um, that's an interesting way to do it. Um, But are there any disadvantages to this approach? Well, in fact, these, when I've had a look... um, have tended to have slightly lower yields than comparable ETFs, or they do currently, um, which is not to say they always do. Uh, but the, the big drawback, I guess, is that unlike Spider, they don't have that focus on real long-term dividend payers. So there isn't quite the same kind of security that you're holding a lot of stocks who have paid out income uh, for years and years and years. Okay. Now, what would be some examples of ETFs that try to avoid expensive income shares? Um, So some of the others which kind of do that um, are PowerShares, FTSE UK, and this is high dividend, low volatility. So that's quite an interesting strategy. Um, And then some of those ones I've mentioned, Spider, S&P, Euro, Dividend Aristocrats, or Wisdom Tree, US Small Cap Dividend. 
Okay. Rosie, do you think passive funds such as ETFs are a good way to tap into equity income? We actually prefer active managers and tend not to buy passive funds that are specifically focused on equity income, albeit from time to time there certainly can be a place within an investor's portfolio. I think it's key that investors understand the actual objective of the fund. So to use Kate's examples of the Spider Dividend Aristocrats Fund, if you look at the Spider US Dividend Aristocrats Fund, where the aim is to invest into companies that have progressive dividend policies, in that particular case, over the last 20 years, that doesn't necessarily mean that the fund is specifically going for income. And actually, if you look at the income generated by that ETF versus the market, the yield is roughly the same. So whilst it has the name dividend in the title, which automatically makes you think of income, it's not specifically focused on generating a high level of income. So it's really important that if you're investing into a passive income fund that you understand what that income means. Okay. Um, I suppose on that note, then, do you think the smart ETFs we've just been discussing are a good way to avoid the dangers of equity income? Um, I suppose it depends what you mean on the dangers of equity income. Um, For us, our concern with passives is either the concentration in terms of where they're invested in order to get that inverted commas income. We also like the flexibility around holding a fund that's managed on an active basis. They can change the portfolio as and when, depending on the market cycle, to find the most attractive source of income and also, importantly, the most sustainable source of income. Again, to reiterate Kate's point, there's certainly a reason as to why certain stocks have got such a high yield and it may be because that yield actually or that dividend payout is unsustainable. Okay. Now, just just focusing um, on these um, dangers of equity income, we've obviously mentioned dividend cuts, yield traps, expensive Mm. shares. Are there any other dangers of equity income um, that investors um, should have on their radar? I think you've got to be careful not to focus too much on income within a portfolio, particularly if you don't understand exactly where the underlying exposures are of either the ETFs you're holding or the funds. You can end up having particular biases within portfolios. You also don't want to give up potential capital upside if you're only going after income and making sure that you run that diversified balanced portfolio and going back to the point at the beginning actually about total return, getting some up capital upside as well as income support within portfolios. Okay, thank you, Rosie. And you can see the full roundup of ETFs, which try to avoid the dangers of equity income in Kate's article in this week's magazine and on the website. One of the benefits of pension freedoms, which were introduced two years ago, has been the ability for more people to draw down income from their retirement funds rather than buy annuities, the rates of which have not been good in recent years and which you can't pass on to your heirs. However, the benefits of income drawdown come together with risks. Emma, you've been looking at this. What is the main risk of income drawdown? Well, the key risk really is the prospect of running out of money, especially as with increased life expectancy. Um, People could be in retirement for 20, 30, possibly even 40 years. Um, So unlike with annuities, which give you a guaranteed income, with income drawdown, you're able to withdraw 25% tax-free and leave the rest in investment funds. But there are a number of risks that could contribute to your pot running out. 
For example, a major financial crisis during your, during your retirement could reduce the value and income of your investments. High inflation could um, erode the purchasing power of your portfolio. Or long illness could force you or your spouse into a care home, which can easily cost £50,000 a year. Ouch. So <laughs> there are lots mm. of different reasons what, how this could happen. OK, that's not good at all. No. So what can you do about it? Well, it can be a good idea to take a mix and matched approach to how you plan your retirement income. Um, some of the financial planners we spoke to suggested this would be a good way to do it. Um, so if you have some guaranteed income from to meet essential costs through using a state pension or a lifetime annuity, as well as using income drawdown, that could be a good way of ensuring um, you can always meet your essential costs. OK, now what kind of asset allocation could you consider well, a balanced portfolio where you've got a mix of equities and fixed income is, is generally a good starting point. Because remember, um, these investment funds could be invested for 20 to 30 years. And in order to beat the effects of inflation and generate income across that period, you are going to need equities which um, have the potential for higher returns. But you also want to think about capital preservation and diversification, which is where fixed income can come in. Okay, um, and is there anything else you can do um, other than set a good asset allocation strategy? Yes, I mean, you have to think about how you're actually going to manage your income. For example, um, some evidence suggests that people have been completely cashing out their pension pots, um, which isn't you know, necessarily the best mm-hmm. idea because you only get 25% tax-free and on the rest you're going to have to pay tax. Um, other people have been sort of taking the whole 25% tax-free um, lump sum immediately as soon as they can but the planners that we spoke to suggested this might not be the best way to generate a um, tax efficient income and actually it might be better to drip out that 25% that you're entitled to tax free over a number of years because you can make it the pot last longer by doing that. Okay um, Rosie do you think the benefits of income drawdown are worth the risk? I think certainly it's worth always looking in the context of all of your assets, so what you might have in your own name, what you might have in your ISA, what you then have in your pension and working out with your financial advisor or with your accountant, what's the most efficient way of drawing down that income. From an investment perspective in terms of portfolio construction, when we talk about income, we're specifically talking about returns coming from dividends, coupons, cash on interest as and when that returns. And so from that perspective, it's then thinking about the total return that you might generate within your pension fund. And as Emma mentioned, getting the right balance between the assets that are held, but also the right balance between capital generational capital growth being generated and also income. That makes up your total return. You can then decide how you take that out as, in inverted commas, income from your pension fund it's always a little bit confusing with the term income meaning quite a few things for investors mm-hmm. yeah um, lots of things to think about so what sort of investors would you say is income drawdown suitable for do you know it entirely depends on the individual's circumstances our financial planners always talk about making sure that your income is more than your budgeted expenditure naturally that changes later on in life particularly with healthcare costs potentially increasing and therefore you need to just look at your own individual personal circumstances because there certainly isn't a one-size-fits-all. Okay now we've been talking a lot about running out of money um, but are there any other risks with doing income drawdown um, and is there anything you can do to mitigate them? 
It's certainly making sure that you've got an idea of what you want to spend in retirement, how much you might want to gift onto your children, whether that's appropriate or not, what you want to do in terms of paying down debt. Again, it's back to the drawing board, trying to work out approximately what your expenditure might be, although we all recognise that's incredibly difficult with so many unknowns in the future. At a young or an old age. (laughs) Thank you, Rosie and Emma, some really useful points. That's all we've got time for today, so it just remains to thank Kate Bealey and Emma Adjumang at Investors Chronicle and Rosie Bullard, Portfolio Manager at James Hambro and Partners. You can read more on Artemis Global Income Fund, Equity Income ETFs, and how to make your pension pot last for retirement in this week's issue of Investors Chronicle on the website. Thank you for listening and have a good weekend. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.